With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This is London calling. Here is the last news bulletin for today. The time through which we are now passing is of exceptional character. Hello everybody and welcome to the Full Reptile Radio. I am honoured to be joined today by uh, Rosie Sexton, a person of many masks, a person that's done many, many different things. Um, So first of all, I'm here today to try and get my body fixed and of all the people that I've ever been to, you are by far the most qualified, not only with your qualifications but with your experience as well so you've been working specifically on a neck strengthening course which is what I'm in dire need of and what most fighters are in dire need of so let's start with that tell me about that so I've been working as an osteopath Um, I mean I I qualified in 2010 um, but since I retired from mixed martial arts in 2014 that's been my my thing full-time so I've got my own clinic here in Solihull now and Probably about 30% of what I see uh, day to day are various combat sports people, combat sports injuries um, across you know a range of different combat sports between the boxers, tie boxers, grapplers, MMA fighters. And one of the things I see a lot of are neck injuries. Um, I've got a bit of a history with this myself. I've, I've had some problems with my neck. And just the number of people who are coming in with... Um, sometimes quite serious neck injuries it really got me thinking about the way we treat necks in in combat sports the way we train necks in combat sports because when you think about uh, mixed martial arts as a discipline we we use the neck as another limb we we use the neck in the same way that we use our our arms or our legs um, we, when we're talking about head control when we're talking about uh, transmitting force with a takedown so if we're going to pick somebody up a lot of the time we're relying on the neck to uh, to transmit that force so there's um, there's a lot of impact going through that neck on a, on a regular basis and when you think about how much um, important stuff is in in your neck you know between you've got the the spinal cord you've got various important blood vessels you know various glands lymph nodes everything that's in there um when you're going to start using that as a shock absorber we need to think about this a lot more Mm. and it's something that for most people who train it doesn't really appear on their radar until there's a problem so a lot of the time you'll speak what kind of neck neck conditioning do you do and they'll say oh well i do a few bridges 
and that's yeah. about it you know i'm guilty of that i'm one of those fighters <laughs> it's, um, but i think we we all are or yeah. we all were um and it's something that a sports science has really caught up with uh with mixed martial arts in a big way you know we're a lot more intelligent about the way we go about conditioning generally these days when you compare with i mean i know you you've been around in the sport as long as I have. Uh, when we when we started out, we inherited a lot of traditional thinking and a lot of old school yeah. thinking from from the, the traditional martial arts. And you know, we did things the way that people have been allegedly doing them for hundreds of years. And mm-hmm. we didn't really think about it too hard. Um, I think at least 50% of my training was from the old Rocky movies. Absolutely. <laughs> Looking back, um, you know. And, and like I say, at the, at the time that... That was all we had. Yes. Um, nowadays, people are thinking a lot more systematically about it. Uh, now we've got a lot more uh, sports science input. So people who are, I mean, quite serious strength and conditioning coaches, kind of getting involved in the sport and and working with fighters, and this is this is fantastic. This is a, a, a great step forward. For me, that seems to have stopped short of looking at the neck. So, you know, we look at arms, we look at legs, we look even to some extent, look at lower backs, you know, core strength, all of these things. Um, But when it comes to necks, there's a real shortage of ideas. And I know this because when my neck was bad, I looked everywhere. Um, I I went online, I talked to people, I talked to rugby physios, rugby strength coaches. um, And I I mean, there were a lot of individually good ideas but nobody seemed to have a systematic approach to to training the neck for mixed martial arts for combat sports um in a way that was going to aim to prevent these injuries from happening in the first place so like i say i mean i'm i'm very happy to treat people when they come in having had an injury but what i'd much rather do is talk to people before they have the injuries and say well here's how we can strengthen your neck so that you can do the things that you want to do with it so you can use it in the way that you need to use it um and we can improve your performance because when you think about how much more confident people are shooting a double leg for example or using head pressure in clinch when they know that they can rely on their neck they know they're not going to get a an injury they know they're not going to have a problem with that Mm. um so this is as much about performance improvement as anything but from my point of view as somebody who works with injured fighters i want to be seeing fewer of those injuries coming into my clinic um i'd much rather keep people out of my clinic rather than trying to patch them up after it's happened and i think this was the inspiration behind neck strength masterclass so i was looking around i was thinking okay you've got this sort of the old school meathead type neck conditioning a lot of your old school head harness work and all of these things and you go online and there's any number of youtube videos of people doing it really badly um and then you've got sort of the the standard physiotherapy approach which is I mean, in the words of a lot of my athletes, wussy physio exercises. (laughs) So you see, you're going to get a little bit of neck mobility work and some chin tucks. And there's nothing wrong with these things. You know, in the early stages of rehab, that might be entirely appropriate. But it's like training for your MMA fight by doing Tai Chi. Mm. It's not going to help you when you get out there, when somebody's actually trying to pull your head off. Doing a few chin tucks is going to do 
absolutely nothing. Yeah. And the majority of physios are are preparing people and reconditioning them for regular daily life, which is basically supporting your head and not using it A, as a weapon and B, as a shock absorber. Yes, (laughs) exactly that, exactly that. So, um, like I said, this is where I was coming from when I started thinking about this. So, I I went around, I found all the uh, neck conditioning exercises that that I could I talked to other people who are involved in um, training contact sports athletes so you know rugby being a classic one because there's a lot of similar forces uh, involved in that and I took some of the work that I'd been doing with some of my athletes in clinic Um, I had a few athletes who I've worked quite closely with getting them back from uh, from quite serious neck injuries so I looked at some of the work that we'd been doing with them again bridging the gap between that clinic work and getting them back on the mat so again you, you can't just take somebody from doing a few exercises in clinic put them back on the mat and say right now shoot a double leg because mm. um, they'll look at you like you're you're nuts yeah um, <laughs> you want me to do what <laughs> um, so we, I looked at the way that, that we broke that down and how, how we got them from A to B and we put some, some systems in place and some, uh, basically, a, you know, a methodical way of, of going from basic neck strength through to the sport-specific uh, kind of performance-related uh, exercises that I want them to be doing. Mm. Um, and I put all that together and... Uh, I started out by running a few courses on this and I, I ran uh, one over at Leicester Shoot Fighters uh, with some of the guys over there. And people kept saying to me, well, when are you going to put this on video? You know, I've got guys in Australia or Denmark who go, you know, I want the material. Mm. When, when are you going to film it? So eventually this year we've, we finally filmed the whole course um, and... Uh, and we've we've got it out there now as a, a video download. Mm. So hopefully that's something that people will find uh, find useful as part of their conditioning program. And I'm very much hoping that this is going to be something that people look at again before they get those injuries. Yeah. That's what that's what I'm really aiming for is for this to become a standard part of what people do. As more preventative than anything this is it as, yeah. as part of their strength and conditioning work so i mean absolutely it, a lot of this can can very much be applied when people are recovering from those neck injuries because again we need to build them up gradually and get them back to doing what they want to be able to do mm-hmm. but better still getting people doing it beforehand yeah. in the same way that you know people are lifting weights they're in the gym they're doing strength and conditioning everyone understands the importance of that for fighting these days so it's just an extension of that mm. and, and did you because you mentioned looking into other sports that deal with impacts to the head obviously mm-hmm. like rugby and that it almost feels to me looking back like we we've kind of done mixed martial arts the wrong way around like the sport arrived before the relevant training to support the kind of sport the kind of athletes that absolutely are required. and i, I mean I, th- I think that's that, that's inevitable to a degree because mm. we don't understand what the demands are on the fighters until we've got the fighters doing it yeah and then we can look at and i think again it's looking in hindsight at what have we done wrong you know so i mean i'm looking at this very much from my own experience you know if, if i could go back 15 years what would i do differently 
and that's absolutely where I'm coming from when I'm putting these things together. It's like if I this is the this is what I needed. Yeah. You know, um, so we were the guinea pig generation, basically. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so and our I, injuries are now sculpted in the training for the future generations. That's it. But <laughs> I mean, again, from my point of view, I want something good to come out of that. Yeah. You know, we've we've been through all that, and hopefully, somebody else can learn from our mistakes. Mm. Um, so they don't have. They can go and make new and different mistakes rather yes. than repeating ours and we can um. solve them in the future for them yeah, yeah absolutely were, were there any sports that seem to have kind of i mean obviously boxing would be the mm-hmm. first one i would go to because you see loads of different mm-hmm. boxers doing yep. various different things i i, I often watch Gennady golovkin mm-hmm. doing his his conditioning and he does a lot of stuff where he's you know he's, he's like uh using a towel to support mm-hmm. his head and he's doing a lot of neck bridges and mm-hmm. um, a lot of like uh like holding a plate on his forehead and moving his head around that kind of stuff were there any sports that kind of had it nailed as far as neck conditioning before you started looking into it for MMA so I couldn't find anyone or any one person who seemed to have everything like I said I mean, th- because originally this was something that I was looking for from, for myself mm. so um, I was looking around and saying well who seems to have the, this nailed the most and I mean, there were lots of good ideas in different places. And my idea is, well, okay, well, let's let's see if we can take the good ideas we've got there and put them together, adapt some of them. I've created a few things myself, put it all together into one one place. I mean, I've um, I think a lot of the boxers have different ideas with neck neck conditioning. I mean, there is still a lot of old school thinking going on mm. there. Um, I mean, I, I still see with the, the old head harness training yeah done badly um <laughs> and again i mean I, I see a lot of a lot of rugby strength and conditioning coaches actually are, are pretty good when it comes to, again you know when you've got players who are um costing you money to be sat on the sidelines injured you've got a real incentive to to make sure that that's not happening yeah. so again i think there's some very good ideas there um like I say, what what I didn't see was a systematic approach. That would, like I say, I, I saw a few good exercises. Here's what. Here's a neck exercise. Here's another one. Um, but that sort of principle of you know starting with the basics and then building up. Um, that's something that I couldn't find. I mean, I, I'm not saying it doesn't exist. There may very well be somebody out there doing that. Um, but when I looked. Um, I couldn't find it all in one place, which mm. is which is why I saw the need to to do that and to put that together. Yeah, I mean, you you've been a you're a very intelligent individual, and you you have been your whole life. I mean, from reading back on uh, into your studies, you've been a a pretty switched on individual ever since you 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 were born, pretty much from what I can tell. So, w- was there a point where you kind of felt like you were ahead of the curve, like you kind of knew what you needed to be doing to protect yourself for combat sports, or are you learning a lot of this stuff in retrospect? I think, um, I mean, certainly over the last few years when I've been working with a lot more fighters and I've, I've been having people coming into the clinic, um, I mean, there's there's a certain amount that I worked out when I for my own neck that I worked out from my own experience with conditioning, anything like that. But I think it's when I started working with other fighters who had similar problems because then it was a case of being able to see what worked and what didn't work across the board. Mm. So, again, you, it's hard to generalise from just one person's experience but when I mean I, I always I always say I probably I probably see one of these a month something like that right um so when you when you have that many people who you work with and 
you're looking at how they respond to those different exercises, those different training plans, getting their feedback on things, and it, it becomes possible to, to tweak what you're doing. And I think that's what really sort of gave me that experience to, to, to be confident in what I'm doing and say, actually, this works. Mm. Um, so when, you, when you're getting, you know, a number of different fighters, and I mean, like I say, the, the most... Uh, one of the most dramatic examples I had recently was with Mike Eunice, who, again, he's uh, very kindly given me permission to talk about the work we've done. Um, and when I when he first came in, he he'd spent three days in hospital um, with wow. a couple of prolapsed discs in his neck, and he, he was he was getting pain all down his arm, weakness in the arm, a lot of nerve symptoms. Um, he was on he'd been on morphine for days. And when I first saw him, he was in bits. And he said, well, I want to get back to fighting. Okay, (laughs) this is going to be a challenge. Um, And again, it was just breaking that process down and starting, okay, let's start with the very basics. And again, quite quickly, just getting him doing some really basic movement, basic exercises that we then built on over the next few months. Mm. And uh, like I say, he, he made his Cage Warriors debut a few weeks ago. Um, which we were delighted about. Um, yeah, that's massive progress. Uh, so, t- talk to me about what we worked through today, because I, I, I've had some, I've had lots of lots of neck injuries throughout my my career, and it's something that's been fairly consistent with all of my training partners as well. We've all had various yeah. different types of neck and shoulder injuries and that kind of stuff. So, and you, you please talk about my neck as much as you want on this podcast T- tell people what what the situation with my neck is and what we were doing today to fix it so with your neck what i was finding when we when we did the assessment was i'm not seeing anything that i'm particularly worried about there there's there doesn't seem to be any nerve symptoms which is all really good news that's a really um, <laughs> that's it um there's it seems to be some some sore inflamed joints in the neck mm-hmm. um but i think we're looking at a very mechanical kind of neck pain so it's the sort of thing which it's sore in certain positions on certain movements and my experience is that this kind of neck pain responds really well to to strengthening strength training and and to to rehab so what i find with people i mean like i say in your situation and my situation where we've we're maybe not doing as much on the mats as we have in the past um certainly as much as we were doing when we were fighting professionally Mm. um is it's very easy to lose some of that neck strength that you have as a fighter and even if you're not doing any neck strength training specifically just the um the stresses on the neck every day with training um it's they will help to develop some some strength yes going on and what you tend to see is that once we lose some of that um, and again, there's uh, you're not doing that on a regular basis. Often, that's when some of these problems will start to become a little bit more apparent. So that general sort of everyday achiness that you notice with prolonged sitting when you're in one position for a long time, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and again, what I often find is that just doing even quite a small amount of very basic neck strength work suddenly makes everything feel a lot better Mm. Um, and again it doesn't have to be like 45 minutes every day or anything like that I don't believe in overloading people with tons of exercises because the 
the worst thing is having a program that nobody's going to do because there's just too much there so what I like to do is you know focus on a couple of really straightforward things and go right that's your basic program and then if you want to add any extras here's how we do it Mm. um so I'm I'm really optimistic so certainly when we're looking at um your case in particular I think that's going to respond really well to, to some of the basic next strength work that we looked at today. Excellent. Um, which, again, I mean, it's it it's all material that uh, that we've got in, in the, that next strength masterclass. It's yeah. where we go through the basic strength training, um, even before we get onto the uh, the sport specific. Unless uh, you've uh, you've been kind enough to pass on this this next strength masterclass DVD, where can people get this in case they want to pick a copy up? So it's available on our, on our website. Um, there's also an online streaming option, so people can just oh, buy okay. the online stream, um, and then if they want a DVD with that, that's an option as well. So it's combatsportsclinic.net dot net. Okay. It's our website, um, and like I said, the um, there's some. Um, there's some free video available on the site as well. So the introduction for the Next Strength Masterclass, for example, that's something that people can just sign up and watch. Um, and uh, we're looking at developing more of these programs over time. So I, again, the neck was the one that I wanted to start with because it's such a common thing that I see all the time. Mm. Uh, I mean, there's a few other problem areas that I'm looking into at the moment that I again I see people coming into my clinic often with the uh, lower backs for grapplers that's a that's a really common one shoulders um so we're, we're looking at addressing all of these areas and and putting some programs together both to prevent the problems from arising in the first place but also that people can use in addition to um any treatment they're currently getting from a physio or anything like that uh, and what I find that a lot of a lot of people say to me when they they talk to me or they message me with questions and they say well I'm going to this physio and they seem really good but they don't really understand what I need to be able to do yes absolutely and, that is a problem um, I've had all the way through my career try even just yeah. spend the first half of the appointment trying to explain yeah. what I'm doing with my head yes, and my neck yeah. and my shoulders and, and yeah. how it was that you were on your back with your legs wrapped <laughs> around this guy's head and they picked you up and they <laughs> slammed you on the back of your neck and and by this time they're looking at you like you've grown another head yeah um and yeah. Like, have you considered not doing that well that's um, the best thing about coming to you is I yeah. don't have to have those it's conversations so, yes. right um, <laughs> and again I think this is why a lot of uh, fighters do do come to me in the first place because it's uh, it just makes that that a bit easier mm. um but um where was i what was i saying um well, t- yeah, tell me about so your neck injury tell me about how that inspired you to to, to move forward with the neck uh, the neck masterclass first because like you, you almost had to have a surgery in yeah which you so i had i had a couple of prolapsed discs in my neck um it was two separate occasions actually the first one was probably around 2007 2008 and then again I had a a recurrence in it was in 2013 when I was training for my UFC fight um and and that came back and I I spent most of that year taking a lot of painkillers um and generally being in bits Mm. Uh, managed to get through the fights um again I had some good people around me who helped me to do that uh but by the end of that year, I was I was seriously considering having surgery. I spoke to a neurosurgeon about it, had a bunch of MRI scans taken, and they were saying, "Yeah, absolutely, we can operate on this. This is something that, uh, yeah, we think would 
warrant an operation. Um, and I think the, the the only reason I didn't go ahead with that in the end was because this was around Christmas, and we sort of said, okay, well let's let's get through Christmas first, and then we'll look at it in the new year. And then by the time I, I went back, things had started to improve a little bit. I mean, it wasn't 100%, it wasn't all the way there, but things were a bit better. And at that point, I sort of said, well, actually, a lot of the nerve symptoms seem to be going away. Let's leave it for a little bit. Let's have another go at doing some conservative treatments some rehab work and see how good I can get it first. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I mean, the surgeon I spoke to, he was really good. He said, look, if you're not sure, it's always better to leave it because you can always come back and have the surgery later, but we can't undo it. Yes. So if you're not happy with it, we can't go back. So take all the time you need, see how it goes. And, and that's what I went away to do. And that's when I really started looking into it, right, what do I need to be doing on top of, you know, the standard treatment that I was I was getting? I mean, I was taking a lot of anti-inflammatories. Um, but then I started thinking more about the kind of rehab that I was doing. And like I say, eventually got it to a point that I was, I was reasonably happy with it. I was able to get back to training. Uh, training, I had another fight. Again, it wasn't 100%. I was, it was still restricting what I could do to some, some degree. Um, but day to day, I was I was getting by, and like I say, it's something that I've been gradually developing since then. Mm. Um, I think this is something that I've I've definitely got um, got better. I mean, looking back, I mean, it's the same as for all of us. I think when we look back at the, what we were doing, you know, five six years ago, yeah. ago, we kind of go. Oh, if only I knew then. Um, (laughs) Well, we were just laughing at my thumbs because uh, I I dislocated my my thumb on my right hand during the first Mm -hmm. round of the Anthony Johnson fight. I put it back in. As you do. Yeah. Yeah. The the most difficult part was trying Mm -hmm. to reach around his shoulders to reach my own hand because he's so big. (laughs) I literally couldn't get around his back. Um, But I put the thumb back in and just never had it looked at. And you were just Mm -hmm. talking about the scar tissue buildup, which, Mm -hmm. and you said something which is going to fundamentally change the way that I view scar tissue moving mm. forward. T- tell me what you told me again, because I want that recorded, because it was it was really interesting. So a lot of people talk about, oh, I need to break down that scar tissue. Mm-hmm. Um, that's slightly outdated view now. Um, so the way we look at this is scar tissue is scar tissue's really important. Um, scar tissue is not necessarily a bad thing. Um but what happens is when the scar tissue initially goes down, um, it's very disorganised. So the fibres are, if you think of it like spaghetti and jello, basically. <laughs> right. um, I feel like that. <laughs> and that can, if you if you just leave it there and, and don't move the joint around, everything can get quite tight and it can also become quite sensitive, quite painful. So that when you do go to move it, when you... St- and find yourself stretching that scar tissue it can be quite sharply painful mm. um and a lot that puts people tends to put people off moving it so um the it's very easy for the joint to become restricted the way we look at scar tissue is it's not so much a case of breaking down the scar tissue because there's not much evidence that we can do that when you think about how strong that tissue is um the forces it would require to break that out, it's just not something that you're going to encounter in a manual therapy session um what we are looking at doing is trying to put some stress on that scar tissue to make it more functional so we're looking at 
um, the the fibres, the collagen fibres in that scar tissue, will will realign along the lines of force. So when we're putting force through that joint, um, we're moving it, we're loading it, um, the scar tissue will become more functional. But we need to move it in order to do that. We need to we need to make that joint work. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes this idea that rest is always the best thing for an injury that doesn't really again that's that's very old-fashioned thinking that's outdated sometimes we need to we need to have some relative rest we need to control what people are doing to some extent but we don't want them doing nothing so again rest doesn't mean lying on the sofa watching netflix (laughs) um in in a lot of cases it means doing a doing a structured rehab plan and again it's that exercise and that loading over time that will lead to that scar tissue becoming more functional and also becoming less sensitive as well because one of the things you tend to find is that scar tissue is very sensitive because you get um, an overgrowth of nerves into that area um, so again that sharp pain that you get when you when you stretch the scar tissue um, that's often to do with that um, the nervous system so Again, by using it, by loading it, sometimes by doing a little bit of hands-on work, that can help to almost recalibrate right. the nervous system in that area. Uh-huh. So again, the way I, I get people to think about it is we're not getting rid of that scar tissue, we're just making it more functional. We're making it um, so that it behaves more like the other tissues in your body, right? the, the other connective tissue that you use on a daily basis, you know, your, your tendons, your ligaments. Um, in the same way, we we need that to be able to to be able to, to function. Yeah. Um, so that's what we're sorry about that. No, it's all right. Just turn that off. That's all right. Can get rid of it. Um, <laughs> it's yeah, it's interesting because like the the perspective was always you've got to you've got to rest. You know, you get injured, you got to yes. rest, and that to be honest was that was a big enough challenge for me as an athlete as it is just resting once I got an injury. Like one of my main bits of advice for young up and coming fighters Mm -hmm. is if you get an injury, make sure you take care of it. Make make sure, I mean, obviously my first thing is to say to rest it, but my understanding of rest it is to rehab it, is to to get it back functional. I mean, as um, when I'm working with athletes, I'll actually do everything I can to keep them training, to keep them on the mat. Um, I find that when you tell people to rest, again, they have this idea that rest means uh, eating donuts and watching Netflix. (laughs) Um, For me, I'd much rather keep them in the gym, uh, but get a plan together for how they're going to do that. So we'll talk about adapting their training, so maybe taking some of this stresses off the injured part Give them, the, give them some other things that they can focus on instead of that. Um, give them a rehab plan that they can do. Um, and I, th- I find that by doing that, I get much better results. Because what tends to happen is when you have an injured fighter and you, you take them out of training, um, one, they'll be climbing the walls. Uh, and when you finally take the reins off and you say, right, you can go back to training, they'll want to jump back in where they left off. Yes, and, I, I always find myself doing yeah. that because I'm always trying to compete against my understanding of my former self. Yes. Like if I go back onto the mat today, I'm doing five fives because that's what I did last time I was at the gym and that's probably not what my body wants to do right now. Yeah, and this is this is the really difficult thing because again, training needs to be progressive. So even if we've had them doing the rehab and had them doing the, the clinic work and the gym work, once they get back onto the mat, we're still going to have to build up their tolerance to the sport specific forces that they're dealing with 
mm. sport-specific loads. So that's what I find the most challenging. Um, it's again, it's explaining to people that we can't just rest until the pain goes away and then pick up where you left off. That's not how this works. Yes. We need we need a plan for how to get you from here to there, yeah. and that's going to include a certain amount of work in the gym doing doing your regular training, but adapting that so that we can work around that injury yeah. and finding ways to do that uh, safely. That's that that can be a challenge because again, I mean when you talk to fighters, typically they're not very good at light sparring or light no. rolling or any no. of those things that was my They'll next want question to, that's that, it they I mean, want to get in there and and, and go full on yeah that, um, that was my next question is how how do you deal with especially if you're doing hands-on stuff training you know physical training with other people how do you manage the training partners as well i mean you've got to be a bit more a bit more sensible about who you're working with and stuff you know go back to the white belt class for a bit or something <laughs> yeah I, I mean sometimes the white belt class is even worse well yeah um, true. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I mean, this this is a real challenge, and I mean, this is something I'll, I'll always have a conversation about with people. I mean, some of my fighters are actually quite—they know their body really well. They know their training partners. They're quite good at being controlled. They're quite good at picking their training partners. They tend to, like I said, they've got these things down. Then I have other people who come in who they know that they're not good at those things. Yes. And again, it's it's finding a plan that's going to suit that person. So for some people, I'll say right. I want you to do some drilling, but we're going to stay in positions which aren't going to stress that injury. So if you, we, we can get you doing some live drilling, but we're going to avoid the places where there's, we know that there's problems. Mm. Um, so by restricting it to a certain position or by restricting the moves that they're allowed to use or they're going, going to do, that can be one way to, uh, to break that down. Um, I mean, other things that I will do is try and replicate the the loads and the forces they're going to experience in sparring in other ways so right. i do a lot of band work for example that, my fighters. we were doing with the head harness was amazing um, earlier today so, really really cool and i find that that's um, that's a really good way to bridge that gap right um, to get people back to the point where they they can do those things because you could you however long you leave it however um, you can have somebody with a completely pain-free neck but if they've had a neck injury doing that in the past and you try and get them shooting a double leg there's always going to be that hesitation there. There's going to be that difficulty yeah. doing that. So what I like to do is by using those other um, exercises and drills, we can build that up so we can get them back to doing what they need to be able to do, but we can do it step by step gradually rather yeah. than trying to just dumping them in, the, in at the deep end and hoping that that neck is going to hold up on them, Yeah, um, which I, did- I think is the mistake that people sometimes make yeah it's definitely a cycle i've got caught up in where I, you know i'd kind of i'd feel the injury in my neck i mean paul barton somebody else you've been mm-hmm. helping out with recently with his neck one of my training partners will tell you i would show up to the gym i'd be like i'm fine we're sparring we're grappling we're doing this we're doing that and then i would feel the injury in my neck i would and for me resting is an achievement Yes, I mean, like me sitting on the sofa watching Netflix, that's an achievement if I've yeah. got an injury because I'm so hard-headed, I want to train through it. Yeah, so, absolutely. Right, so I've got to the stage now in my career where I can take some time off. Unfortunately, I'm busy with other things, which keeps me occupied. Yes. But what I was realizing, I would fall into a cycle where I'd get to about 70 or 75% where I felt like the pain was, was subsiding, I was starting to get a bit more movement back, and then I would go back to training. Yeah. And I would, like you said, yeah. you hit the mat just as hard as you were the last time you were there and then it's re-injured and then I'm out and yeah. and I never fully allowed it to heal. 
but I never did the right things to get it back to yeah. as close. And that's to where we end up with that sort of boom and bust, uh-huh. like kind of yo-yo. Anyway, a bit like my weight cutting. <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> and um, so like I say, what I'll always try and do is get people sort of working. I mean, again, working as hard as they can, but in a way that allows them to to be to be training the neck in a useful way, rather than just putting a load of stress on it, which is going to mm. cause a a recurring problem yeah how, so, how much of this do you think falls on the understanding and the knowledge of the coaches because it, it, it seems like as mma is growing a lot of the stuff you're talking about is you know to an extent we need to upgrade the coaches understanding of how to deal with their athletes as well absolutely absolutely and i mean this is something that i i, I try to talk to people about is how to how to deal with injured athletes because i think there's a lot of misconceptions out there again there's there's a lot of these ideas that uh, are very looking at it from the point of view of somebody who's read some of the more modern evidence and research that's going on in um in sports science and and physiotherapy and uh, those areas uh, there's a lot of old, old school thinking still there mm. and i think that's part I mean, it's it's always difficult to when when people have that idea based on something that they've been told years ago. Um, sometimes it's difficult to get them to question that and mm. to to reassess it. Yes. And this is one of the things that I mean, from my point of view, actually, this is really good news because as an athlete, you want to be on the mat, you want to be training, you want to have a plan, you want to be in, actively involved in that recovery. You don't want to have to just sit there and wait for it to get better passively. Yes. Um, so from that point of view, I think I found that it, getting athletes to buy into that is actually really easy because you're telling them a lot of the things that they want to hear. Mm. Um, and again, when you can give people that sense of progression and that sense of, okay, I feel like I'm doing something that's helping and that's improving this. Um, so... So in in a way, it's it's all good news. Mm. And again, when you when you sort of sit down with a coach and you explain, right, this is what I need them to be doing, and this is how we're going to get them back to uh, to where they need to be. A lot of the time, you know, they'll they'll be they'll be really pleased about that yeah. because because they can see the benefits that's it. as well. And again, mm. it sort of fits in with um, the way that we think about training, about that progressive incremental improvements, and sort of you know gradually. St- stretching yourself just outside your comfort zone repeatedly in order to get those improvements again it fits perfectly with that understanding um and i think part of the problem is that in the past people have thought of injuries as being something separate from that and it's like different rules apply and in a way they don't actually a lot of it is we're going to do a lot of very similar things um I mean, obviously, there's some extra things that we need to look out for and be a bit careful about. And that's why I always say it's always good to do this in conjunction with or in consultation with a professional who can assess that injury and let you know what's appropriate for you. But generally, I'll always look for when I'm referring somebody to to a sports injury professional. And again, whatever profession that person comes from, whether they're an osteopath or a physiotherapist or a sports therapist or any anything else um i'll always look for somebody who's used to train working with athletes and who has that same understanding of uh, of recovery and how to get people back to doing what they do so 
I think one of the things I was saying to you earlier was that I never want to be just doing hands-on work with an athlete. Yes. Um, I mean, the hands-on work, I think, has a, definitely has a place. And in terms of getting people feeling better, getting people a bit more mobile, more able to do the exercises, helping them to use their body, use the muscles in the right way, you know, th- th- there's a lot we can do with that. But if that's all we're doing then we're going to end up in that cycle where they're going to have to keep coming back Mm. and they'll go away. They might feel good for a little bit, but as soon as they get back on the mat, they're going to have the same problems again because we're not really addressing those underlying issues. We're not really improving things in terms of their ability to cope with those those loads and those stresses Uh, because the only way that we know how to do that is is by exercise by loading the body yes you know it's in the same way that you know you you can't train for an mma fight by you know there there's no quick fix the only way you can get better is by being out there and doing it yeah and it's very much the same thing when we're looking at the human body and you know, getting back from those injuries we've got to get people doing doing something differently yeah um so I'll always look for people or for, for professionals who are on that same page Yeah. when it but, comes to doing that. I mean, the thing is, I, I think that's that beneficial for, in several ways as well. I mean, and, I, and I'm sure you'll find the same thing with a lot of fighters. I know I was certainly, certainly the same. I, I was a, a huge control freak when it came to <laughs> training camp. And if ever I had an injury, it always felt like it was out of my hands. So whenever I was going to someone for yes. treatments, I was putting the injury in their hands. And then when I left their clinic... I had nothing. I, I yeah. had no contribution. Mm-hmm. So if if there are things that I can be doing on a daily basis that are going to improve my condition, that feeds the inner control freak in me a little Absolutely. bit. Absolutely. And I mean, again, from my point of view as a professional, that's that's exactly what I want. I I see myself more as a coach, and it's it's a partnership. We're working together to to deal with that injury. So a lot of what I do, it's based around education. Um, explaining to people what's going on what's going to improve it what's going to make it worse talking together about putting a plan together so again it's not me saying you need to do this it's about saying right you tell me what your training looks like and and what you need to be able to do and let's figure something out that's going to work so from my point using my knowledge and uh, you know my skills as a therapist but also integrating your individual needs and requirements into that. Mm. So again, it's much more of an individualized approach. And at the end of the day, when, when you walk out of that clinic, I want you to understand what's going on. I want, you're the one who's going to drive this. Yes. I'm here as a consultant, yeah. but I'm not the one who's going to do the work. Um, yeah. And this is what I say to all of my athletes, you know, you're the one who's doing the work there. You know, I'm hopefully I can point you in the right direction I can educate you I can explain what to do I can I I can help put that plan together Mm. but at the end of the day you're the one who's going to do it yeah and that's really important I think yeah so basically if if you've got an injury you need to find someone that's going to help you fix it instead of to find someone that's going to fix it for you absolutely absolutely (laughs) and I think I think that's a, a much healthier way of of thinking about it yeah and as an athlete again you know looking at it from my point of view um that's always what what i would want Mm. you know i want to to understand what's going on so that when you're in those training situations and you don't have your therapist with you you can make those decisions for yourself you know is this a good idea can i do this do i need to back off um 
again, when I'm when I'm working with re- on rehab plans with people, I'll explain to them how to adjust that plan based on their symptoms. Mm-hmm. So I say, right, if it starts getting more sore, then we're going to back off and we're looking to find that Goldilocks zone. So we're putting enough stress on your body. So we're going to get that adaptive response, but we're not putting so much stress on it that it's going to aggravate it. Right. And again, getting people to understand where that Goldilocks zone is and how to how to adjust what they're doing to to fit with that. Yeah. Um, again, that's that's a big part of of what I do. So it's it's almost about. Um, I say this jokingly, but there's a lot of truth in it that I spend most of my time t- trying to keep people out of my clinic mm, yeah. in the nicest possible way. Yeah. You know, if, if people are out there doing their own thing and understanding how, how to manage that injury themselves, then I think I've done my job. Mm. Um, yeah. And again, obviously, I'm there if there's a problem. So if they're not sure of something, if they need a bit more advice, you know, again, if they want some hands-on work, because... You and I both know as, as fighters, you know, the, um, when you're training really hard, you get tired, you get sore. Sometimes you just want something that's going to make that feel better. Absolutely. Um, and, and then you can go away and do the work mm. after that. So I think um, if, from an athlete's point of view, I don't think we should, we should underestimate the, the value of that. Mm. Um, but again, it's just understanding that that's not all there is to it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. What What are your thoughts on uh, on nutrition when it comes to recovery? Are there certain supplements that you that you feel are any use? So, I mean, I know collagen is very popular at the moment. My wife's recently dislocated her shoulder, and she's on the collagen from what uh, one of her therapists has told her to start using it. Are there any supplements that you use that you think are beneficial? So, I think there are, there are various um, approaches you can take with supplements. One of the problems with it is. The evidence and the research on it is quite thin on the ground, so it's mm. very difficult to say from an evidence-based point of view, this will definitely help. There are a few things that I think for some people are worth trying. Like I say, I'm hearing more about the collagen at the moment. Um, again, my, my point of view is as long as it's something that we know is relatively safe, um, if people want to want to experiment with that, I think there, there can be a place for those. Um what I what I always encourage people to do though is to to look at the fundamentals first. So you want to get the the basics right before you start looking at any of the other stuff. Mm. And for me, the basics when it comes to nutrition is you know your, your basic diet, what you're eating, you know, make, making sure it's a, a overall a, a balanced, healthy diet. Um, again, it can be difficult for fighters if they're weight cutting and uh, things like that. For example, um, I mean, what you'll often see is that fighters when they are weight cutting, some of those old injuries will start flaring playing up, up flaring bit. up on yeah. them. They'll start noticing that. And again, to some extent, that's going to be you know the the calorie deficit as much as anything else. Yeah. Um, so as much as possible, it's making sure that even if you are weight cutting, you're eating as healthily as you can. Your diet is as balanced as it can can be. Um, again, general hydration, all of those things. Once you've got those basics in place. Then, if you want to look at any of the other things on top of that, yeah. again, I mean, make, making sure that your your protein content is appropriate for the training that you're doing, um, all of those things. Um, so, I think there's a a few approaches that, and it's interesting to to look at. I mean, these things tend to go in cycles. 
I find. I think you can... Um, When you look at the information that people are putting out online, for example, things you see uh, um, a lot of it can be very faddy. Mm-hmm. You see the, the the latest thing that's being promoted at the moment. I mean, I, I I won't mention any product in particular, but when you go back a couple of years, you'll notice that you're seeing a lot of the same promotions, a lot of the the same things being said about a different product. Absolutely, and we go through. Yeah, <laughs> it's a never-ending cycle. You know, every so often something old will come back into fashion, and people go, "It's this the the, the new big thing that's going to solve all your problems." And yeah. you know, it's um, uh, and I think the reality is that the effects of most of these things, um, if there are effects, are smaller than some of the claims right. would have you believe. So I think um, with all of them, it's a question of looking at that sensibly and looking at it from a, a fairly balanced perspective and not getting too excited about one one particular one thing particular like that's big the solution. thing mm. and i mean the problem with this as, as it is with training and you know you see the same thing in the personal training world and you know strength and conditioning it'll be the, the next big thing that everyone's all about you know with kettlebells or body yep. weight training or whatever yep. um and the problem is it can be quite hard to get people excited about the basics mm-hmm. it can be quite hard to get because it's not be, new and they've always this is been it. it's there. not new it's yeah. not it's, it's not saying right do this one thing and everything will be fantastic um it's saying right do if you do all of these things then you'll be a little bit better yeah. um but the reality is that's what works mm-hmm. and it's the basics that get you get you the results yeah and like i say you know every so often there's a new product that comes out you go okay well maybe that's worth adding in um but it's important to remember that that's the that's your two percent yes absolutely you know yeah. your your 80 percent whatever is is doing the the, the basics well mm-hmm. um and one of the things i always focus on when i get people in my clinic is right do the basics well yes and then if we want to try something a little bit different a little bit well we can do that but that's not going to compromise the yeah a the, good foundation the main plan. exactly uh-huh. exactly yeah. it's, um, a, it's a mentality shift though really i mean like even in my head, as I was driving here, sometimes mm-hmm. if I'm driving to record a podcast, I don't. I listen to music a lot mm-hmm. of the time. I don't listen to music. I like to be in my own head and just kind of mm-hmm. feel, you know, how I'm feeling about the person I'm going to talk to and what I want to know about that individual and stuff. And obviously, because I was coming here for a dual purpose to record this, but also to have you work on my neck. Like my neck was bothering me yesterday, and in my head, I'm I'm thinking, it's okay. I'm going to see Rosie tomorrow. She's going to fix my neck. And that idea of I'm going to you because you're going to fix my neck, it, it, it separates it from myself. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's yes. almost, and it's the same thing with the, like we're a quick fix society. Yeah. And like you said, Absolutely. people aren't going to get excited yeah. about the, the basics, but the basics are the result. You know, that's, that's what gets you the results yeah. is being excited about getting the results, which is really where we need to be. That's it. And I mean, the thing I find is that when, when you do the basics well, and when you give people a plan that's sort of, right, here's how you can implement this. A lot of the time they'll go, that's amazing. It's almost like magic. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, all we're doing is the basics. Yes. Um, and I mean, I've got people, I've seen people who've come to me for a shoulder injury, for example, and they've been around everyone. They've had shockwave therapy and they've had this and they've had that and, you know, everything in the sun, under the sun, on it. Um, 
And all I've done is given them a, a really basic rehab plan. So I'm going to say, okay, well, we're going to do about three exercises and you're going to do those consistently for a couple of weeks mm. and let's see where we are. And they'll come back and they'll go, it's working. I can't believe it. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't hurt as much. And you go, well, all we've done is the basics. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, just after today, you've given me a load of stuff to think about. So I'm excited to get home. I'm, I'm excited to get into this uh, the next Strength Masterclass DVD. But just the simple things that I mean, and, and they're not exercises I've, I've that are alien to me. I've seen them. I've done them before. But having some consistency and, and supersetting them, like you said, I'm, I'm feeling encouraged about the progress that I'm going to get with them. I think having a plan that you can be confident in as well, because. It, again, it tends to be one of these things where people will dip in and out and they'll do a bit of this one day and a bit of that another day and never stick with one thing for long enough to, to really have an effect. So I think, sort of again, having a plan that you're comfortable with and that y- you really believe in, I think that makes a difference because like I said the, the rehab plan that's going to work best is the one that you actually do. Um, yeah, that makes actually. sense. That makes sense. Right, I'm going to switch it up now because I, I want to take this in a bit of a different direction because mm-hmm. I have lots of questions now you're a fascinating individual and you you've you've explored so many facets of your life you've tried so many different things i mean maths music osteopathy martial arts where, where does the drive come from at what point in you, did you realize that you had more of a drive to achieve than other people around you <laughs> um i think i just get interested in something and when i get interested in something i want to I want to see how far I can push it. I want to see how 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 far I can take that. Um, and I think, if anything, um, it's I I get involved in things quite easily. I'll, I'll I'll say yes to things a lot because I'll be curious. I want to find out more. And then once I'm involved in it, I think it's just having that stubborn streak that goes right. I want to be better. Yeah, I, want I can't to be, better be bad at this. At this. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think I think. In many ways, it's just a combination of sort of being open to trying something, and then having the stubbornness to to stick it out mm. uh, once things get once things get hard. Um, I think that's certainly what got me into the mixed martial arts in the first place. I mean, I'd I'd been involved in traditional martial arts since being a kid. Um, Was it Taekwondo you started with? Taekwondo? Yes, um, Taekwondo. I did some traditional jiu-jitsu at university. I tried a few different martial arts around then, and. And that was the point when I realised, well, I know all this stuff, but I've never actually been in a real fight. Mm-hmm. So how do I know that it works? And it was that idea that sort of led me to, when I first found out about mixed martial arts, I, I want to give that a go. Yeah. And again, the, the original plan was, I'm, I'm just going to have a couple of fights. I'm going to see how I get on. I'm going to prove to myself I can do it, and then I'm going to get on with the rest of my life. Mm. Um, and then somewhere along the, the line, those couple of fights turned into a 12-year fight career. Um, just because I kept going, right, I'm not happy with this. I want to be better. Um, I, I want to do it better. I want to fight better people. I want to see how far I can take it. Um, and uh, like I say, that took me all over the world. And I think it's the experience you get from doing something like that. that uh, for me, that's, that's the valuable thing. Yeah, I think it's the being able to look back and go, yeah, I did that. that was, yeah, right. Some crazy times. Um, <laughs> I mean, you you were always present in mixed martial arts when I was coming through the ranks. I, I think the the t- the year I turned pro, two thousand four. I think you were four and zero as a professional at that time, and you'd already been running uh, uh, 
grappling tournaments and various different types of stuff. You like you were involved in martial arts across the board. Like so, at what point did it become? a casual interest in traditional martial arts and all of a sudden mixed martial arts is my focus. I think, I mean, when I finished my PhD, I think I was, I spent a bit of time sort of thinking, well, what am I going to do next with my life? And that was the time I thought, okay, well, let's just take a few months off, concentrate on, on this for a bit and, and see where it goes. And as I, I said, you, where that, where that went, uh, the, uh, you know, that's uh, that's history, as it were. Um, <laughs> your, your <laughs> that that turned into into something much bigger than I already originally intended it. Mm. Uh, you, um, just before we move on, your PhD was math- mathematics, was it? It was um, officially. It says computer science on my certificate, but it's basically it was maths. Right. Essentially, it was uh, um, as a, a maths group in the computer science department that I was working with. Right. At the time. My goodness, um, that's giving me a headache just and, thinking uh, about it. <laughs> um, and like I said, I mean, I think when I got to the end of that, I was I was thinking, well, I I don't want to spend the rest of my life sat behind a desk. Mm-hmm. I think um, I was just trying to figure out what comes next, and that's when, like any normal and well-adjusted PhD student, I decided that the obvious alternative was to go off and punch people in the face <laughs> for a bit. Um, and uh, like I say, it it was originally going to be right a couple of fights. Now I'm going to get get myself a job and probably end up working in IT somewhere or something like that. Um, and like I said, it, it just turned into something much bigger than that. And along the way, that's where I got interested in sports injuries. Um, obviously, because you see a lot of them around. I had a few myself. Uh, I started reading it up about them because, again, when you have an injury, suddenly it becomes a, your most pressing concern is, uh, what can I do about this? How can I get back to training? So that's why I started reading some of the um some books about sports science and injuries and things and then i went well i want to know more about this mm. so that's when i signed up to go back to university to to do an osteopathy degree um, and the osteopathy connection came because i had a very good osteopath myself who treated me when i had a back injury I don't know, back in the day and i really appreciated his approach it was it was very um whereas a lot of practitioners who i'd been to see it was all about right getting you coming back and yes you need to come back in for the next forever yeah forever essentially yeah. <laughs> um whereas in him it was very much right let's let's treat it let's give you some advice off you go if you have any problems call me um and it was all about getting me fixed and getting me out of that out of the clinic and mm-hmm. That's always been an approach that I've I've identified with. You know, yeah. as an athlete, that's that's you're what that's what you want. Yeah. I mean, that's martial arts. You don't arts want well, somebody who you're going to have to go back and see every week forever. Yeah. Um, so that was what inspired me to to go back to university and to to do that. Um, and again, it's, I want to know more about this, both for my own trainings you know I, I want to know how to how to deal with injuries myself but also I want to be able to help other people because mm. I could see other people I was training with having the same issues when they were fighting and not having somebody they could go to to get good advice and sort of being told things that maybe weren't terribly helpful and mm-hmm. uh, oh you should stop doing that you know um we hear that a lot as fighters. Yeah, yeah don't, don't do that. It's bad for you. I know that. Um, yeah. Being punched in the face, face is not good is, for you. Yeah, um, <laughs> right. who knew? Uh, but uh, 
but it's having somebody who can give you sense advice on on risk mitigation if you like and how to right how do we make it as safe as possible mm. um yes and again the the reason i ended up doing it was because i couldn't find somebody else who was it was like okay well somebody needs to do that yeah. so that's kind of how I, I ended up in that space right myself um did it make it difficult for you because obviously there, were, there was a crossover be- between you you know become qualified in osteopathy and and being a professional fighter i always feel looking back like the th- one of the main things that got me through training camp was ignorance and hard-headedness <laughs> like i was invincible no one was going to be able to take me out there was my body was going to hold up forever like, did it get did it get more challenging when you started to become more aware of the, of your physicality and of your biology and how that can be affected by the things you were doing in training? Possibly, I think it, it sort of helped and it hindered in in equal measure, if you like. In, in I mean, in some ways, knowing how to get the best out of your body and how to sort of reduce your risks of injuries and things like that that was helpful. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, could you, if you could adapt what you're doing. Um, I think at the same time, it, there, there was a frustration there in that sometimes sort of what everyone else is doing or you, the training methods of people around you don't really fit with what you understand is is best practice. And it's hard to change that as a fighter. Yeah. You know, I think when you're fighting, you've very much got to get your head down and just do it. Mm-hmm. Um, when As soon as you start trying to control too much of that process things get things get difficult you know i think you need somebody external who you trust to tell you the right thing to do sometimes yes um, and again i think this is in a way why i work much better now um now that i'm sort of a, a step removed from that scene if you like so i can give people that advice you know if i'm working with a fighter i mean sometimes i'll, I'll drop a note to their coach or i'll have a conversation and things like that and go can we get them doing this mm. um and again sometimes sometimes having those lines of communication can be can be really helpful and that's something that perhaps is hard for a lot of therapists to do i think because of my background people have a certain amount of respect for you know that i understand the process and when i when i give them advice it's it's appropriate for for them as a fighter not just for from my point of view as a therapist yeah so let's talk about you as a fighter then, because you, you had a lot of experience. As you said, you traveled the world. I mean, like you look down the list of people that you fought and, and there are names that people know today, people that are still fighting at the top of the sport, like Joanna Yadrejcik, uh, you, you fought Gina Carano, you fought mm-hmm. Roxanne Modafferi, Ashlyn Daly. I mean, these are a lot of fighters that people know the names of. I mean, Karina Dam, I watched that fight a couple of days ago as well when I knew we were gonna we were going to chat. What a beautiful armbar that was. Like, when you look back through your career, with it, was there a particular fight that stands out? Something that you look back on and go, that that was me at my best as a martial artist? It's an interesting one. I, I sometimes think about this. Um, I think there are a number of fights that I liked for different reasons, I think. Um, I mean, the, like I said, the Karina Dam fight, that was that was a good one. Um, I think the Bodog fights generally, actually, they were they were that was a, that was an experience. I, I mean, yeah, um, I and they talk- were really given a showcase to the female the fighters, fighters when nobody else was. I mean, talking to a lot of the old school female fighters, we miss Bodog. Yeah, <laughs> uh, um, I mean, it, it was always one of those things where I think there was there was an expiry date on that, obviously, um, but at the time, you know, they were doing. They, they really got the female mixed martial arts scene going. Mm. I think there's a lot of people sort of don't give them the credit they deserved for um, 
almost for, for, for getting things to the point where where we see them now yeah, um, yeah it's, that was definitely part of the process um, there was the the cage warriors fights i had when i when i came back to cage warriors um in uh 2010 11 so there was a sally crumdiak fight yeah. um ashley daly roxanne madafkari um they were good fights um like i say i i look back on those with uh, uh they were they were good memories yeah um the my first UFC fight actually was Alexis Davis, uh-huh. um, UFC 161. Great fight. Um, I thought that was one of my best fights. I didn't get the nod. I didn't get the nod. Um, again, it was it was a close fight. I think it was a fair decision. Um, but uh, but I thought in terms of performance, that was that was one of my my best outings. Uh, there were a lot of things going on around that time, and we, we talked already about the the neck injury. Mm. Um, I had a lot of other. Uh, other things going on in my life at the time it was it was a difficult fight for me one thing or another it was the preparation was difficult um and i think just from my own point of view to to go out there and to to produce that performance i was um i mean obviously not satisfied in the sense because it wasn't a win it wasn't a win and that's what you're always looking for but looking back I think that was one of my better performances, um, mm. certainly in, in that weight class. Um, so, I've and that the whole UFC experience I think was uh, was a big roller coaster because, I mean, certainly when I was started out in, in mixed martial arts, there was there was no possibility I was ever going to fight in the UFC. Yeah, you know, I think Dana White said as much. Women will, will <laughs> never fight in the UFC. Um, and so did you write that off then as that was not an option? I mean, I always thought that it would happen one day. Yes. I didn't think it was going to happen in my career. And it very nearly didn't because um, so at the end of 2012, I was already talking about retiring. Mm. I was saying, you know, I, I think I've done as much as I can in the sport. And there comes a time when you need to go off and do other things. And uh, th- there are other aspects of my life that I need to pay attention to. Um, and then... Um, there was the uh, Ronda Rousey Liz Carmouche fight in yeah. 2013, um, and again I, I I didn't really give it a second thought because okay it's, it's not my weight class you know it's, it's bantamweight, um, and then my coach uh, Paul Rimmer sort of I was I was in the gym around that time he sat sat me down and goes what what are you doing at the moment I don't know I'm a bit of work a bit of this a bit of that. Why? Where are, we, where are we going with this? Um, you saw the fight last night, then? Uh, yeah, of course. Uh, he goes. So what are you doing at the moment? <laughs> 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 um, and uh, I was like, okay, well, I see where you're going, but it's not my weight class. And he goes, but it could be though, right? Uh, well, I suppose. Um, is do you want to fight in the UFC or not? <laughs> and when you put it like that, it was like, well, yeah, that's how do you say no? No, it's an easy how do you, question. How do, you, to how do you say no to that? Yeah. Um, so, so I had to think about it. You know, I got a nutrition plan, put on some weight. Um, it's, bulky up is not as much fun as you think it's going to be. No. Um, <laughs> it's not the fun foods that people expect. No, 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 no. It's 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 not the cake, steak, and weight 
meat. But <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it, it was a lot of chicken breast. Yeah, um, well, that, you said that to me took, earlier today. Yeah. yeah, fighting has ruined two things for me: it's chicken breast and saunas. Yeah, um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I get the saunas so, thing. It was yeah. black coffee for me for a long yeah. time. <laughs> um, you you were ta- talking about going up in weight class though, because yeah. the one thing that stood out to me going back and looking at some of your fights and something that I don't feel was as much of a narrative in male mixed martial arts was there were so many times when you were stepping into a fight like particularly the Gina Carano fight when you stepped in there I thought to myself my goodness I I remember standing next to her at Legends and how big (laughs) she was like she was heavier than me at that point in my career I I mean she was a she was a big woman she was thick she was strong she was aggressive yet I mean, you held your own. You held your own in that fight very well. What was it like going into those fights? Did you feel in that moment that you were you were really up against it? I think... Especially with all the hype that she had. I mean, you were unbeaten at the time, coming over at, what, 4-0, were you? I think it was... It, 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 it was about that, I think, because it was, it was after the Dina um, Van den Hoeven fight. Uh-huh. That was th- that was the fight before that. Um, uh, again, I, di- I didn't mention that. That was one of my favourites. Um, that was the uh, yeah. We were both on that card. Yeah, um, there are there are a lot of names on that card. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, but yeah, then with the, with the Gina Carano fight again, I was looking back in hindsight. I was I was young. I was inexperienced. I was maybe a little bit naive when it came to the weight classes, and I didn't at the time appreciate quite how much weight some of these fighters yeah. were cutting. Um, and how big that size difference... I mean, again, even standing next to it, I didn't fully appreciate that size difference because um, I think I, I have that uh, thing in my head where I, I think I'm bigger than I am. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've um, had that problem most of my career, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, I mean, watching it back, you kind of go, yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> but the thing is, like, even like when you stepped in there, yeah. there was your mentality, to me, just from the outside, looked very much like you were you were in a problem-solving state of mind. You were like, okay, this is what I bring to the table. This is what she brings to the table. You seem to be very, very grounded and very matter-of-fact about it. Like, in my head, I'd have been like, there's no chance that she's, you know, can muscle me around, all that kind of thing. I mean, I, I, I was fully intending to win that fight. Yes. You know, I, I, as with all of my fights, you know, I, I don't think I've ever gone into a fight not fully intending to win it. Mm. Um, sometimes things haven't gone to plan, uh, but... Certainly, when I got there, I was, uh, you know, I was, oh, I'm going to take her down. Yeah, grand pass, which you submission. did in the first yeah. round. I mean, you did. You took her um, down. You controlled her against the fence. It's, uh, but like I say, I think it's it's experience, and it's the sort of thing that you look back on. And you go, okay, right. If I'd known then what I know now, I might have done things a bit differently. Mm. I don't. I'm not sure how I'd have done them differently. That's that's an interesting question. Um, but I certainly have approached that fight differently mm. um but in hindsight like i said i think the one thing that i'm proud of and the one thing that i always be able to say is i always went out there and gave it 100 percent. yes um and i think looking back that perhaps matters more to me than the results absolutely again, in, in hindsight mm. yeah and did did you were you aware that the, you know the people around the sport people watching saw you as that person that had that indestructible mentality that you would just get in there and take on challenges and you felt like no matter what problem you had in front of you, you were you were skilled enough and smart enough to be able to solve that problem on, on your best day. 
I, I mean, it was quite inspiring to me, honestly, as a, as a young fighter, watching watching you approach these fights, especially because, I, I mean, I didn't fight someone that was legitimately a lot bigger than me until I fought Anthony Johnson, and he was, f- you know, 35 pounds heavier than me on yes. fight night. And that, to me, yeah. like, going into that fight, that was, a, that was a part of the narrative. That was a part of the problem I had to solve, was that he was bigger than me, so this is how I was going to work around it. And, you know, speaking openly, go back into earlier days when people were using all different kinds of performance enhancers. Mm-hmm. Like that was a part of my game plan. Okay, yeah. they're using this. I need to work a game plan yeah, to solve that problem yes. as well. Yeah, was that a part of your thinking? Um, to some extent, to some extent, I'm, we knew that in that particular fight, she was going to be bigger than me. Yeah. Um, again, I, th- I think I probably didn't appreciate quite how much. Mm-hmm. Um, Did you feel it in the fight? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think you know when, when you get into clinch with somebody, you kind of go. That's the moment when you go, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but like in that moment, the amount um, of times I've seen a fighter have that realization and then all of a sudden they start to unravel. Yeah. And in that fight, when you had that realization, you were like, okay, I'm just going to get yeah. my hands on her. <laughs> well, it's, it's one of those things. You kind of go, well, I'm here now. Um, best get the takedown. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like I say, either it happens or it doesn't. Yeah. But it's one of those, you know, I, I've... I, th- I suppose I just I've never had the personality type to go right. I'm just gonna run away and stay safe. Yeah. It yeah. just it doesn't. Is there a stubbornness in you that you think? Is I th- that, I, yeah, I think I think it's so. a healthy stubbornness. Yeah, that, yeah. I've always wanted to win a bit too much. Yeah. So you yeah. kind of go well. I'm I'm here now. <laughs> you know, the only way I'm going to win this fight is if I get my hands on her and get her down. So let's do that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, if something goes wrong along the way, then yeah, okay. Yeah. Well. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, th- th- this is this is rolling on, yeah, but I have yeah. two I have two more quick questions mm-hmm. for you. One of them is about a fight that's coming up, but the other one is again something that was bouncing around in my head as I was on my way over here. Because you're so you're so qualified intellectually as well as as well as technically with martial arts. Do you do you feel like your level of IQ helped you across the board as far as mixed martial I mean, we were having this conversation. I'll relate it back to that because we were discussing the difference between fighters that use methods and principles and the difference between fight IQ across the sport and how there are guys that are right at the top, top level of the UFC, male and female fighters, that have got the skills, they've got the physical attributes, but they don't have the IQ to help that decision-making. I think... I mean, I think there's there's two things here. There's there's decision making in training, and there's decision making in a fight. And I think decision making in a fight is always difficult because once you're in there, the adrenaline's going. It's very hard to think through a situation. You tend to revert to what you do in training. Most people, I always say, you don't rise to the level of your aspirations. You fall to the level of your training. Mm. Um, so the thing that makes the most difference is how you're used to training. And if you're used to problem solving when you train, that carries over. If you're not, then it doesn't. Um, I think the way you think about training definitely has an effect on uh, everything else. So mm. I think being able to approach training in a systematic and a, uh, um, a logical way, I think that really helped. And I mean, some fighters have a really good team around them and they sort of outsource that thinking. So they just turn up, they do what they're told and they get to, to the point where because everyone around them is so good, they integrate that into what they're doing. Yes. Um, 
but there's always that time when you end up in a situation where you haven't got somebody on hand to to do your thinking for you mm-hmm. or, or if your confidence happens. in that person yeah. is shaken slightly that's the other thing as yes. well is like i yeah. always wanted to have that confidence within myself that mm-hmm. i could i could you know come through different circumstances and i always felt like and outsourcing is a nice way of, a nice word to use. If I'd have outsourced that responsibility to somebody else, yeah. then I would be reliant on that person and my confidence in that person to get me through. I mean, I remember having this conversation with one of my coaches. Um, I think um, it was after a grappling competition. I think it was, and we had an argument afterwards because he'd been shouting at me to do something, and then I went to do it, and then it didn't go well. And I was like, well why did you say that I, I, I knew because he kept saying it and I knew at the time that it wasn't the right answer mm-hmm. in myself I knew it wasn't the right answer but I did it anyway and he said well if you knew it wasn't the right answer why did you do it he said well you sounded really sure of it <laughs> <laughs> and I think that was a big lesson I mean that was quite early on and that was you know that was that was a big lesson it was like well actually I'm the one who's got responsibility for this I'm the one who has to because if, if if there's consequences, you know, if I end up getting taken down and, you know, elbowed in the face, it's my face. Yes. It's not his face. <laughs> um, so it, it's actually, it's my responsibility at the end of the day. And however insistently somebody's shouting at you to do something, if it's not the right answer, if you don't feel it's the right answer, you have to, you have to make that judgment call. Yes. Um, on the other hand, you know, sometimes somebody outside will be able to see something that you can't mm. and it's so it, it's always a difficult decision to make at that point you kind of go do i take it on faith that they've seen something or do i go with how i feel mm. in here at the at the moment yes um and like i said i mean this these are the things that, that make the sport interesting right yeah uh, absolutely it, it just it just seems like like athletes have fallen into two categories there are the, the guys that fight emotionally yeah. in the moment reactive to whatever's in front of them mm-hmm. and then people on the opposite side who they they logically lay out the opportunities mm-hmm. and options in front of them yeah. and then kind of break them down individually and see which one's the most I mean the way I've always logical. looked at it is that that sort of deconstruction process that's something you should be doing before you get in there it's you know that's where you do your video analysis and you look at what that person likes to do and how does my game fit in with that and if they do this What's my response going to be? What am I going to do naturally? How do I want to change what I do naturally? And then that forms the basis for your training plan. And okay, well, how am I going to drill that so that that becomes the natural response? So that when I'm under pressure and I've been punched in the head a few times and I'm not quite seeing straight, I will revert to what I want to do and not what I might otherwise do. Yeah. So for me, it's a much longer term thing it's not just what happens in those 15 minutes it what it's what happens the six to eight weeks before that when you're training in the gym you know how do you how do you program that game plan if you like how do you decide what i want my responses to be um and how how do i get them to that point so it's not relying on yourself to make those split second decisions it's being able to take that back out a little bit further and kind of go well how do I how do I drill this? You know, what am I going to work on for this fight camp? What do I want my main tools to be? What are my main reactions going to be? How am I going to deal with the problems that this particular fighter poses? Mm. And for me, that was always the the, the really interesting bit. That's the ex- almost the exciting bit of it is having that problem to solve. And then you've got your 
six to eight weeks to 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 solve that um but it that is a that is a very it's a very analytical yeah. approach which I, I i don't see many fighters having the the analytical approach that most fighters have is if i land this right hand there's going to fall over do you know what I mean? Like we were talking about yeah. it with the main event this I mean, last I, week. I mean, I always say that's not a plan, that's wishful thinking. That, yeah, exactly. Um. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's a very good way of putting it, yeah. Um. It's, but it, it's, it's, it's alarming how yeah. few people do the, the, the homework necessary. Yeah. Especially when, and I realise this working with, you know, Paulie Malinaji, the boxer? Yes. We, yeah. we worked together for yeah. the Maymac fight and something occurred to me He's such a good analyst. And yeah. the reason he's a good analyst is because he had to figure everything out because yeah. he wasn't the one-punch knockout power guy. He wasn't yeah. super fast in yeah. comparison to people. And when I look at my old teammates, I mm. feel very much like the same. Like yeah. Paul Daly was immensely powerful. Mm. Dean Amasinger and, uh, and, and Jimmy Warlett immensely strong. Andre Winner, very, very fast. Like what I had to bring to the table was my logic and my problem yeah, solving. Absolutely ability. that. And like I said, I was, I was never the super athlete you know, I was never that person who could, you know, I could just go out there and do whatever. You know, the people who go, oh, yeah, I don't really, I don't, I don't really watch videos. I just turn up and fight and yeah. do what I do. It's like, I mean, I, I envy people who can do that. <laughs> but I was never one of them. No, you know, I was always the person who had not. to sit down and go, right, let's figure this out. Let's let's work out a strategy here. Yeah. Um, and like I say, you know, a lot of the time that worked. A few times it didn't, mm-hmm. um, but going in there with a plan meant that I got a lot further in that sport than looking at it from the outset. Given my my natural ability, if you like, whatever yes. that means, yeah, um, you might have might have expected. So yeah. I mean, again, I was I was never the person who was uh, super athletic as a kid you know mm-hmm. I, I I wasn't particularly sporty I only really got into training properly once I got interested in martial arts and you know I mean even then I, I was a late starter um I think and because it was such a young sport the sport sort of grew up around me so when I started out nobody really knew what they were doing we were all trying to figure it out as we went along and so a few years down the line eventually you're looking around going this is this has suddenly got quite big, you know, particularly when it, I think with the UFC thing, that's when it really hit me. It's like shit, there's a there's a lot of people watching. Yeah, um, and I never anticipated being in that position. You know, I was never the person who was going to be an athlete when I was a kid. It was it was just something that sort of happened, and I I, I kind of the sport grew grew at the same time that that I was I was there, um, and uh, I think that's that's kind of what made it exciting if you like I think it was that figuring it all out um Mm. I mean again for the the youngsters coming into the sport now it's a whole different landscape you know I think there's a lot more established I think people have figured out the sorts of training that work the sorts of you know strategies that work so even just going to a gym it's got everything in it you know I mean you'll remember the times when you had to drive from one place to another I I was constantly driving between three and four cities to get all my training yeah now you can kind of go to one place the the path's laid out you've got some guys that have probably already walked those those boards before you know we we didn't even have coaches that I remember back in the day when you know if you'd done a bit of kickboxing and some jujitsu oh you were an MMA fighter fighter. (laughs) yeah it was um and uh, you know that bit that happens in the middle oh we don't worry about that too much yeah um, <laughs> yeah absolutely this is it you know you, you, you train a couple of thing, different things separately and, and and then you get in a fight and you you somehow put it together 
and that was as far as anyone had got yes. back then. And then, like I say, you know, over time, people figured out, okay, this wrestling thing, this matters. Um, yeah, and there's a way of training it. That's it, yeah. <laughs> and then people started going, okay, well, the bit in between the, 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 the punching and the wrestling, there's a bit in between that, and we need to train that as well. Yeah. Um, and it's slowly become more nuanced and yeah. more, more technical. Um, I think my favourite realisation was, mm, I'm not very good at jiu-jitsu, but jiu-jitsu gets a lot easier when I can punch them in the face. face. You know? <laughs> and I remember a lot of guys in fights, yeah. I remember looking in their eyes and seeing them have the same realisation that I really like jiu-jitsu, but it's not nearly as much fun when someone's trying to punch me. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, like we were kind of learning yes. on the spot a little yeah. bit. The guinea absolutely, pig generation, absolutely. I think we'll call that's ourselves. That's it, that's it. Yeah. Um, and I mean... Like I say, on the one hand, I look at it now and kind of go, oh, if only I'd come to it 10 years later and, you know, look at... There's women now who are making a career as a professional fighter and, you know, they're getting paid and they're full-time and they're not having to, um, you know, work another job to make ends meet and yeah. everything. And you look at that and go, oh, if I'd had that opportunity and I could afford my own weight class and all of those right. things. But at the same time, at the same time, I think there is something about having been there from the beginning and having been there through that evolution of the sport mm. that I don't know. I don't know whether I would change that. Yeah. I think there was, uh, those were exciting times. They were. I, I, I often think, cause it, I mean, I look at these young fighters now, I go out to the performance Institute and thought to myself, Oh, if I'd have had access to this, yeah. you know, the knowledge that's out there. I mean, I, I learned a lot of my early stuff off YouTube. That's the yes. ridiculous thing. Yeah. Like Nathan Leverton yeah. taught himself out of books and videos and then yes. he passed that information on. And it's amazing what you, what you can achieve when you're yeah. driven, like, like you said, but mm. at the same time, like the landscape is so much, so much more simple to, to traverse now. Yeah. Now everything's laid out. And I often like, I mean, the money I made, in my world title fight in comparison to what I would make now if I was fighting for a world title I probably still not made that money if I add up everything I'd, I've made and put it in a pot do you know what I mean so th there is a little bit of a frustration yeah. there with that but at the same time and this even more so with you than me I would say the value that you're going to bring to this sport because of your experience and your knowledge and what you're now going to do for the sport moving forward it puts us in a unique situation. Like I had a conversation with Mark Goddard, and he's very much our generation as well. Yes, you know, yeah. one of the the forefathers of of mixed martial arts in mm -hmm. Europe that is much more valuable as a referee every weekend, making sure the yeah. fighters are safe than he would have been as a heavyweight champion fighting two, three times a year. Yeah, I mean, the, the way I look at it is, I mean, that was a great experience at the time, but I'm not going to spend the rest of my life looking back and going, "What if?" Yeah, yeah, you know, it's. I've got this way too much ahead of me, you know, and I think at the moment I'm excited about what I'm doing here in the clinic and working with fighters and what I can bring from that point of view. So for me, that's that's where I am in the moment. And I think it's it's easy to sort of look back and kind of go, oh, what if and if only and this and that. But it's a waste of time. It's, yeah. uh, you know, I think having having had those experiences was great but even more so because that informs what I can do now. And it makes me a totally different therapist, a totally different... You know, I mean, like I said, I, I, don't, I don't really coach fighters in the gym, but I, the way I work with them... Yes, yeah. Is, and them knowing that, your background that's been, as that's well. That's been in, informed by that sort of coaching mentality and that yeah. fight mentality. Um, yeah. And so, the other thing as well, you don't need to be in the gym every day validating yourself as a coach because 
people know who you are and what you've already achieved. So if you do step on the mat, you've already got the fighter's ears because they know that you've already been through that and learned those lessons. <laughs> That's it. And I think people appreciate that I understand where they're coming from. Yes. Um, and I think that, I mean, that makes a big difference. Yeah. You know, I think. Yeah. So like I said, I, I, I'm not sure I'd change anything in hindsight. I don't no. know. Um, it's, it, it's, it's an interesting thing to think about, but I think... On balance, I'm, I'm quite happy with where I am and what I'm doing. And if things had been different, they I would have been be here. So. No, absolutely. Excellent. So my, my last question to wrap this up, we're, and we're going to have to do this again. I'm going to have to come over very soon because there's so much more I, I still want to talk to you about. My last mm-hmm. question, and it's obviously there's a, a, a fight that you've fought before. Joanna's mm-hmm. got a fight coming up. Uh, female mixed martial arts is massively taken off. So first of all, what do you think on Joanna's next fight? moving up a weight class and also who do you enjoy watching now so i'm a little bit out of the mixed martial arts loop i don't watch as much as i used to i still watch some of the big fights obviously you know i and occasionally people say to me oh you really need to watch this um i don't watch everything religiously anymore yeah um it's my full-time job and it's difficult yes, to keep up believe yeah, me. <laughs> yeah um i think um johanna's an interesting one um i think it will be interesting. It will be very interesting to see where she goes. Because, I mean, since the loss to Rose, I think, I always say it's very easy to be confident when you're undefeated. Mm-hmm. It's much more difficult to... Oops. It's, <laughs> it's, it's much more difficult when you're coming back from something. Yes. And it's difficult. So it'll be interesting to see how that how that pans out. Yeah, yeah. Um. I mean, I think she's got she's got the tools, but it's, it's as, a confidence as you, as you thing, know, yeah. it's, it's about more than that. Yeah, it's applying those that, tools, yeah. and uh, if you know, if you've if you've That's had unbeaten confidence doing that, then yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, no, it, it will be it will be interesting to see. Yeah. Um, I'll well, be. I, that's that's one that I will watch. Yeah. Well, what, once you've watched yes. it, I'll come back yeah. over and we'll have a yeah. chat about the fight and see what you Excellent. think about it. Brilliant. Yeah. Thank you so much for your Fantastic. time today, Rosie. I've been Excellent. looking forward to this, and I'm looking forward to getting no. home to my uh, next strength masterclass, Combat Sports Clinic. The website is combatsportsclinic.net. Dot net. There we go. So, I'll tweet that out so you all got it uh, when when this goes live. Um, but just from today's session, my neck's already starting to starting to feel more in line Excellent. and I'm going well, we'll to get into this. We'll have to arrange a follow-up and we can take it from there. Absolutely. Thank you so Brilliant. much for your time. Thanks, Dan. It can do something no other kind of lizard can do. It can run continuously for a very long time and that enables it to become an endurance hunter chasing down its prey. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, subscribe via iTunes.